Hello everyone and welcome to Medhedosnet Podcast Season 4, Episode 3. We are live on YouTube, Facebook and X. It's Thursday, October 26, 2023. I'm your host, Vika Slanyan, and as always, I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Mr. Mike Balian, where we discuss our great Armenian history covering different eras, topics and people. Uh, please hit that like button, share, make sure you're subscribed and if you're on Facebook, share with friends and family. We are back with our regular scheduled programming. There is a lot happening in the world yeah. today. And uh, we'll continue to tell our stories to the world uh, to make sure that the issue of the ethnic cleansing of Artsakh and the occupation of Armenian territories are not overshadowed by other conflicts. Uh, very important. Uh, we also want to thank everyone who has been donating to the Hike to Our Heroes fundraiser. Avit and his team have been doing God's work on the ground in Armenia by helping displaced families from Artakh. Uh, so please continue supporting uh, this great orga- organization. We had the uh, hike with them uh, a couple of weeks fun. ago. That was really fun. We posted uh, videos. Uh, we also had the raffle drawing mm-hmm. and the winner. Um, the- Get his name. I pa- apologize. Patrick. 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 There you go. Patrick yeah. was the winner. Forget his last name. But yeah, yeah he, he he got his sculpture and his day sculpture. And um, if you guys are interested in sculptures, as you know, you can always go to medhedosne.com and place your order. And uh, like I said, we are donating uh, proceeds from those sculptures to these great organizations. Now, today it is our distinct pleasure to uh, introduce our esteemed guest. Katya Karagozian, uh, a brilliant author whose work has touched the hearts and minds of many. Katya is a gifted storyteller behind the captivating book Forbidden Homeland, story of a diasporan. You can see it right there on the screen. The, the um, little thing was blocking it. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Wait, I gotta go um, this way. Yeah, All right. So uh, her insights into the intricate narratives of diaspora and the quest for identity resonates deeply with those who have had the, had to navigate the complex tapestry of homeland and heritage. Uh, today, we will discuss Katya's uh, fascinating journey and the profound uh, themes exploring her compelling literary work. Um, welcome, Katya. Well, welcome. thank you for having me. It's an honor being here. How are yeah, you thank tonight? you for thank all you. the work thank that you you're doing coming. to raise awareness about uh, the Artsakh ethnic cleansing and uh, the fundraising that's uh, still being. Yeah, um, it, it's very important. We're trying to do our part. It's still yeah. in force. Uh, everybody, uh, you know, we, we keep talking about unity. Um, this, this is what it's about. We have to come together and help, uh, you know, the uh, displaced families. They're, they're everybody. If you're an Armenian, those are our brothers and sisters, and we need to help them right now. Uh, and uh, until, um, you know, we go on to the next stage, which is figure out how to get our lands back. But that's a different topic. Um, we were introduced to you through a good friend, R.P. Rikorian, who um, she is an amazing artist herself. Um, R.P. publishing as well. They publish Armenian, Western Armenian uh, books. I know she's working on those. So um, and uh, we actually were introduced, and when you had the book release in Barnes and Nobles, we were promoting it as well. Um, but we wanted to kind of, you know, uh, first of all, how did that go? The Barnes and Noble experience. 
Oh, it was very well. Uh, it went very well. We had a good turnout. Uh, a lot of Americans walked up and uh, sat down and wanted to listen. Um, I mean, it was it was wonderful because that's where we want to take the book. We mm -hmm. want to take it to mainstream America. Uh, I always describe it as an American Armenian as an Armenian American story yeah. because uh, my journey started here, uh, took place uh, here. And the book uh, goes into um, a lot of uh, uh, background history and yeah. American involvement in Armenian history. Mm -hmm. History, a lot of things that unfortunately um, American history books uh, do not do not Omit. cover. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know uh, things, uh, you know different uh, policies yeah. and uh, issues from from World War One until today. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, Obviously, I wrote it to raise awareness, and I wanted uh, I want the Americans to know where their money goes, yeah. uh, uh, what policies are uh, enforced in their names. Uh, so the book does all that. Uh, as I said, it's an Armenian American yeah. journey. But uh, before we get into the book, uh, can you you know for our audience to to know who Katya is? Can you talk a little bit about your background as an author and uh, your professional life? Well, I was uh, born in Beirut. Mm -hmm. um, Lebanon holds a special place in my heart, even though most of my life there, I lived it through the uh, Lebanese Civil War. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been fascinated by history and, and politics. I have no idea why, uh, since childhood. Uh, I also loved writing. So when I was uh, young, I used to write poetry. Uh, my essays would win awards. So uh, b both passions come together in this book, uh, history and writing. So um, uh, we immigrated from Lebanon to California in 1984. Uh, I, did, uh, I majored in biology for my undergrad, and then I went to uh, receive my doctorate in pharmacy from the University of Southern California. Um, I worked for many years for uh, drug chains, uh, chain drug stores as a pharmacist. Uh, I managed a couple of uh, Save on Drugs and CVS locations. And then I made the transition to hospital pharmacy. Uh, I currently work as a hospital pediatric uh, pharmacist. Um, I also love giving back to our community. I'm involved in many different uh, organizations. Um, and that's it. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, and now I'm an author. How how did you become an author? What what made you to, to 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 write? Like you know, to take your life experience and what was the spark to go? I got to tell my story to people. Um, actually, I never intended to publish uh, this. This was uh, a personal journal, mm -hmm. uh, but the way it evolved and the the journey that the story took me to. And I'll explain later how, how it happened. Uh, basically, it turned into uh, a self-discovery and the discovery of our cause. Yeah. Because I realized that even though I had gone to Armenian schools, uh, I didn't really have a good grasp of what had happened to us. So after um, uh, an amazing event uh, that basically is the catalyst of all this, uh, the main journey was finding out who I was, why I was born in Lebanon, and what had happened to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
so I, you know that took off, and the more I re- I read a lot. I mean, every single book that came out on on genocide on the genocide I would buy uh, in the eighties, uh, late eighties and nineties. So uh, as the story came uh, together, uh, I ran into a whole plethora of facts that were covered up geopolitically. Uh, so I realized that the Armenian genocide that the Armenian genocide was not only covered up by Turkey, it was covered up by the entire world, mm-hmm. especially the Western nations, because they had uh, decided to have Turkey as their NATO ally and they didn't want to rock the boat. So the, the more I discovered, uh, the the f- more frustrated I became by not only my lack of knowledge, our our lack of knowledge, or cumulative uh, lack of knowledge, which is uh, very detrimental. Um, so uh, when, when, the, when, when I was done with the project, which was basically something that I was doing for myself, I wanted to educate myself, uh, I decided that there's value in publishing this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, first I started writing it for our, my, my family. Uh, but at the end, uh, I was like, I can't hang on to this. This doesn't be- belong just to me alone. It belongs to humanity. If you don't mind me asking, uh, how long did you kind of accumulate all of these writings before it started to dawn on you that I need, I might need to put this out? Well, uh, let me let me tell you about how this started. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, 1984, we came from California. Okay. Uh, and about four years later, uh, I was uh, going to CSUN, you know, doing my undergrad, as I said. And for some odd reason, I uh, gravitated towards two Bolsa High uh, students. Uh, I, I don't know why, but retrospectively, I think it was meant to be. Sure. So one day, uh, you know, we're talking and uh, I don't know from where this comment came up. Uh, they were They were talking and. I guess I wanted to interrupt them. So I said, you know, I'm from there too, essentially. I'm also from Turkey. And my dad's side is from Malatya. So I could have said, I could have mentioned my mom's side, which is from, they're from Adana. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I mentioned Malatya. So lo and behold, one of the girls, uh, one of the students uh, turns to me and she says, wait a minute, I'm born in Malatya. So I was like, whoa. Anyhow, so... Uh, she tells her parents, and apparently after the genocide, only five families had survived in Malatya. So the parents kind of got five? only wow. five families had survived. So wow. the, her parents kind of got interested, and uh, they inquired if my dad uh, knew any of the names of the relatives, uh, of his relatives. So uh, long story short, uh, through this new friend of mine, I located, we, I, we found uh, descendants of my paternal grandmother's uh, siblings here in California. So I knew nothing about these relatives. They had lost contact since the genocide. Yeah. Uh, and it was for the, f- the, f- the first time, for the first time I found out that my grandmother was the only one in her family who had escaped to Lebanon with my gra- grandpa uh, during the genocide. The rest of her family had, re- had stayed behind in Turkey. So uh, my dad remembered their names because when he was 11, his mom took him to Malatya once, and that was it. So, so, uh, so they set up a meeting. So we came to meet our newfound relatives, 
And uh, it was a life-changing uh, experience wow. for me. So that's where, wow. that's from where my interest in the genocide wow. came. Because uh, not only we had like uh, strangers completing each other's story, my dad's story, their story matched, but they added to it because now we found out what happened to the Armenians who stayed behind in Turkey. A, a lot of things that I, did, I wasn't aware of. Um, which basically uh, made me see how disconnected our communities were from one another. Okay, the ones in Lebanon didn't know what happened, what, what happened to the ones who stayed beyond in Turkey, or what was happening uh, to the Armenians in Soviet Armenia. Nobody knew from each other. But uh, they, uh, I learned, I learned so much from them. Okay, first of all, uh, their Armenian name. They were forced to change it in 1934 because of the surname law. So basically, long story short, uh, I found out from them that the Armenian genocide had never stopped, that it was a ruse that it had stopped. It had never stopped. It had just changed uh, ways, uh, mostly nonviolent ways of yeah. ethnic cleansing. Uh, there was always uh, ways to let i mean push the armenians the remaining armenians out of the country uh, all sorts of oppressions uh, so it had never stopped so this this was happening in 1988 so in the backdrop we were having the sumgait programs mm -hmm. happen and uh, for the first time in my life i heard about nagorno karabakh i hadn't heard about nagorno karabakh in lebanon either so um basically i realized that i didn't, I didn't know much period so, uh, and that's where the journey started. Uh, I, I found more relatives. I put the story together. The story became so uh, detailed and um, that I, I wanted to start writing about it before I forgot. Um, but then because of my love of history and, and politics, uh, I wanted to put some of the events in my family's story into historical perspective. So I would like, uh, oh, they said during that time this happened. Let me see what was happening around that time. So one thing led to another. And as I said, a whole Pandora's box opened in front of me. Uh, all sorts of information that I wasn't aware of. I can imagine. And, wow. and all sorts of facts that were literally being covered up by the entire world. So, uh, wow. so basically, uh, during that time, obviously, Turkey was... Uh, uh, can, you know, uh, the, the genocide when it's, was in its last phase, the, denial, the phase of denial, which is an active phase yeah. of genocide. Uh, and and uh, the world was participating. Uh, they were enabling them. Uh, if you remember, I don't know if you've heard a bit about it, but uh, there was a lot of uh, lobbying against every single Armenian genocide recognition mm -hmm resolution that was going to come out in, 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 uh, in the U.S. Congress, uh, movies that they were going to, that were going to be produced. Yeah. The productions. The, the, what was it? The Musa, um, yeah, 40 Days of Musa. Musa. Yeah. 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 Musa, yeah. So, so I realized that major that, actors who were going to yes. be in it. Yeah. So, uh, I realized that, well, wait a minute, uh, this is not just Turkey. Okay. There's a whole, the whole world is, mm -hmm. uh, covering this up. So that's where the journey started, but then I uncovered so much more. Yeah. Uh, and that's the journey of Forbidden Homeland. It covers all the way to, to the 44-day 2020 war. 
I have the book, uh, the QR code right there on the screen, guys. Uh, Please go in and scan it and purchase the book through Amazon. Uh, It's a fascinating book and it's written, uh, it's it's great storytelling. So um, uh, there's a reason we wanted Katya to be on the show because of the fact that the way she tells the story, um, as she mentioned, it goes back from when the genocide began and and leads up to what's happening Very today recently. and yeah. it you will it will clearly show you how like you said the genocide never ended it has been happening for over a hundred years well what i discovered uh and i said as i said i read a lot of books uh to be honest uh the the books that revealed the most to me uh, besides the richard hovanisian books and so on uh were the books written by taner akjam the Turkish historian who was exiled mm-hmm. from Turkey because he recognizes the Armenian genocide yeah. and he writes about it. So his books were very revealing because they showed me the uh, Turkish perspective. Another side of it, yeah. Because as far as I'm concerned, um, uh, you know, my approach was kind of scientific because that's my background. I wanted to discover the root cause of this because nothing in, in um, uh, n- no world event happens in the vacuum there's always an economic or political reason behind it so i wanted to find out why this policy uh, was instigated against us so his books were very revealing uh through all my readings though uh, something fascinating happened uh there was a clear connection between the genocide and the artsakh conflict Mm -hmm. clear as you know uh, black ink on on white because during the same time frame as where the genocide was happening uh, during the same time the same actors were orchestrating massacres in what we now know as azerbaijan so basically um, uh, and, and we'll go into this further uh we delegated or deferred the uh, definition of what had happened to us to the world and what is the world going to do? They're going to explain the way it suits them. Of course. yeah. Uh, even the years 1915 to 1923 are not accurate because the policy of uh, ethnic cleansing uh, of the Armenians in particular started in 1894 mm-hmm. when uh, the uh, Armenian question came up. Yeah. What they referred by Armenian question was the, was the question of Armenian independence yep. uh, as the territories of the... Ottoman yeah, Empire. We did a whole were, episode were on yeah. this, yeah. So the accurate date of st- the start date would be 1894. And that's the other thing. Uh, we lost 300,000 Armenians were put to the sword uh, during the Hamidian massacres. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. Uh, that, that was a genocide. They were killed because of... In and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody yeah. talks about it. Well, well, that's what I'm saying. So uh, we'll, we'll touch upon that later but <laughs> when you ask me... <laughs> Question number seven. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, so it was not explained uh, correctly because, as I said, we deferred the explanation to others. And strange thing about us Armenians, I, I guess we're so proud. We don't want to say, we don't want to admit how many times we got massacred. So we downplayed the whole thing. Uh, you know, so it started in ni- 1894. And then in uh, 1909, we had the Adana massacres. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, in 1905, we got massacred in what the country of Azerbaijan because the Russia was going through some, uh, you know. As always. Uh, as always. Yeah. So, and, and then in 1919, again, within that 
classic time frame between 1915 to 1923, you had Anwar Pasha go all the way to Baku and massacre 30,000 mm-hmm. Armenians because they wanted to build a new Turkic nation out yeah. of that, that area. And then in 1920, again, that falls again within that uh, time frame, uh, we had the entire popula- Armenian population of Shushi, 20,000 Armenians be yeah, massacred. massacred yeah. So there was, so, I, so I'm reading, I'm like, wait a minute, the Armenian genocide happened on two fronts, not just Turkey. So why didn't we explain it this way? Because literally the same actors were doing this. So, so there is a very, uh, I mean, total connection between uh, Artsakh, the Artsakh com- conflict. Which uh, goes back. To, since the nineteen early nineteen hundreds, I, I found so. I found. Uh, by the way, all of this is is available. Yeah, to us, of course, but it, of but course. it hasn't yeah. been promoted aggressively. That because nobody that, takes the time to their exactly. research yeah. to learn about it. Like, so. listen, you talked about how in 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 Lebanon you didn't know anything about Nagorno Karabakh, right? Yeah. And that's not your fault because people didn't talk about it. People didn't know about it. It was brushed under the rug during the Soviet era. Um, People in Armenia didn't even know what the uh, Nagorno-Karabakh totally. or Artsakh was, so yes. uh, it was it was by design, totally by design. And uh, the other thing, okay, so I was going to mention that I ran into a quote by the Speaker of the Parliament uh, in in Turkey in 1946, mm-hmm. where he's saying literally, uh, he's telling his Azeri brothers to keep the, uh, the Garapakh conflict going because it is their last chance to realize their pan-Turkic, Pan-Turkic. dream. dream. Yeah. So the policy behind the Armenian genocide is the pan-Turkic union that they want to form. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a sacred ambition of theirs. And uh, I, I hate to say it, but it looks like they're finding the current situation of uh, you know the, the imbalance of power as their most opportune yeah. moment to go for it yeah well i mean you know what what's, what is really frustrating is that even in in media or western media where they talk about it and if you watch any any news report which half of them don't even know what they're talking about it always starts the karabakh conflict started in 1988 and you know the movement and this is no this has been going on for over a hundred years. This conflict has been happening. We the Armenians have been being massacred. So when they say it started in 1988, no, it didn't. It no. started very, very long time ago. Yeah, just having flare-ups throughout that time period. You're having peaks and valleys. Well, you of the also situation. had the occupation of the the, the you know the the communists uh, through Armenia and mm-hmm. Azerbaijan. Um, so that that itself. They both countries, if you think about it, were prisoners of 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 Soviet Union, and they couldn't really do much about it. Well, um, see, the thing is, between the, the Russians and the Turks, see themselves on the same level field, okay? Because they're both imperialistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For them, we're just like the subject people, okay? So, uh, during the fall of the the fall of the Russian Empire. Uh, they came to an agreement, uh, you know, Ataturk, mm-hmm. the Turkish side, uh, pushed for the creation of a new Turkic country, Azerbaijan. Uh, basically, it was created in 1918. Yeah. Uh, there, there is no Azer- country of Azerbaijan. Even the name itself yeah. was it taken was from, from, from Iran. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, but the, uh, but the uh, agreement was that they will form a country uh, out of that la- land, which comprised mostly of historic, uh, of, of lands that belonged to historic Armen- the Armenian kingdom and, and Shirvan, which was a uh, uh, Persian territory. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the, uh, the deal was that uh, Ru- Russia will let uh, the Turks create a new country uh, but in return, they will make they will agree to make it part of the USSR. Mm-hmm. So that's how Azerbaijan basically became, became about, part yeah. of the, yeah. So, uh, but you know, of course, Ataturk went further and uh, basically convinced Stalin and Lenin to give some more of the Armenian lands because well, course, their their, their objective is, is again yeah, pan-Turkism, yeah, yeah. and uh, that's that's. That's the one thing with uh, with getting to know your your enemies. We, you have to know the psyche, the character, the culture. They are very very good visionaries and and planners. Well, that's how you and strike stick, deals like this. Yes. You know. So you know, Ataturk uh, got more lands from the first Republic of Armenia, and then he made them give Nakhichevan and Artsakh mm-hmm. to Azerbaijan. Well, Kars yeah. as well. Don't forget oh, Kars. That, yeah, that's, know, so Gar- he, Gars he, was he, part of Western yeah, Armenia. Yes. So. I mean, but the thing is, you know, you talk about their vision and what they were doing. You know, uh, our leaders back then really, really messed up. I mean, a lot of mistakes were made. A lot of mistakes. I don't know if they were fooled or what type of position they were well, put at, in. Well, at the same time, I don't think based off of when you look at how the geopolitical situation was in that area back then, I don't think they really had that much pull, if you really think about it. Uh, I mean, the, the, if, imagine them sitting at a table. I can't imagine any Armenian representative having enough to say over the Bolsheviks and Ataturk and his people? Well, I, I think because we're a small nation, yeah. our numbers are small, we had just endured the genocide. Uh, th- that's the other thing. We didn't just endure a genocide and, a, and cultural genocide where they demolished our, our monuments. We also endured ethnocide. And this we don't talk about uh, yeah. as much as we should have, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, when the Bolsheviks came went into Yerevan in 1920, uh, they burned our books too. Yeah. So they burned our books. They wanted to Sovietize us. The Turks forbade uh, you know us to speak our language. They made us change our last names and so on. They wanted to Turkify us. So there was always reengineering yeah. and getting away from the the ethnicity. Uh, but you know, uh, this this was all done by force. The the way it continues, unfortunately, uh, as Armenians, we I think we had uh, a uh, window of opportunity in 1991, 1994, and just like you said, looking back, it looks like we made major major mistake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to, not to get into the politics of it, and and I mean, there it's so it goes so deep. But I, I from what I've read. A lot of mistakes were made. And you said, yeah, I understand the situation they were in, but we also had other powers who were backing us as well. And we didn't take the opportunity just like we didn't take the opportunity today. But again, we, for some reason, um, Russia always got the better of us uh, with their, um, I don't know what to call it, but for some reason they have, they've always had this, uh, almost like the, gra- a, the gravity of, yeah. of that area. Um, we're always Major. been under their spell for some reason. 
Well, I, I think it's the relationship of uh, a, a victim and an, and an abuser. You know what yeah. I mean? They abuse uh, you and then they, they still they love you, right? You, yeah. But, but you know they will keep you alive because yeah. they, you know that they like abusing and being in the picture. Just by giving yeah. you enough. So, yeah. So you know that they'll do damage, but they'll keep you But they'll come but and they'll say, I'm alive. sorry. Yeah, they'll come and uh. say, I'm sorry. It's just Vers- abusive. Versus, yeah. versus uh. Turkey that's going to completely massacre you. But they're not, neither one obviously is. <laughs> definitely. Uh, we have no friends. We have to understand. The lesser this, of yeah. two evils. Basically. We have no friends, but we, we, have also, no, we have also have to. Have we have to start being smarter and taking advantages of situations where it's going to benefit us. I mean, the entire political world or geopolitical world—it's all about give and take. And um, we have to be more selfish as a country, uh, as a people, and and use these opportunities to make sure that whatever deal we're making we are benefiting a lot more. It is more beneficial for us than whoever we're making a deal with. Yeah, of course, that other country is going to benefit as well. But for some reason, everything you look at throughout history, we have given 80% and received 20%, which has been nothing, lies and, and, and you know backstabbing so much. And that is why we're in this condition. Well, one thing I wanted to go into... Um, as I was researching and all that, as I said, yeah. my scientific background, I, I guess, came into play. Um, I wanted to understand why these types of crimes happen in mm-hmm. general. I, I wanted uh, to apply it to, entire, to the entirety of humanity because we are not the only people who got massacred for our lands. Yeah. Look around, it's still Oh, happening. yeah. Okay. So uh, I wanted to find out w- why this happens. And uh, after some thought, uh, it, it was very, the answer, the answer was there, it was very, very basic. The main law that governs the world, uh, essentially, is the law of the survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything else, like human rights, uh, you know, humanitarian laws and all that, are, are all... Uh, created mostly from the western nations they're all created to keep people under control mm-hmm. to give them a, a seeming list, a, a seeming normality or you know civility yeah but uh when the going gets tough when there's economic uh, issues or there's yeah. world power struggle that that facade falls and what you see is the law of the survival of the fittest, mm-hmm. fittest. and it doesn't say the survival of the nicest. It says the survival of the fittest. And fit usually has to do with physical fitness, mm-hmm. strength. strength. Yes. So uh, I was thinking about this, and I think uh, it's basic, but, but you don't think about it, right? So what if you juxtapose that and apply that to nations, okay, what makes a nation fit? Military. I think three things. One, knowledge of national Na- nationality identity, knowledge yeah. no- knowledge of uh, knowledge of national identity knowledge of history if you don't know your history you cannot uh fight for your rights you won't even know what your what the borders of your mm-hmm. country uh, is so knowledge of history uh which goes back to ethnocide again okay uh if your enemies are uh attacking your knowledge of history okay uh they're doing it for for a purpose, because that's one of the pillars of your fitness. Mm-hmm. If you don't know who you are, you can be fooled. 
they can do whatever. Uh, the second is economy. Uh, economy has to do with basically uh, survival, uh, being able to sustain your population, uh, being able to uh, get into economic agreements and alliances, mm-hmm. and being able to buy what? Weapons. So you have to have a solid economy. You have to know how to get into trade, uh, diversify uh, trade, and uh, you know, and of course, the third being military power, which is very important. If if your military uh, might is not there, it's an invitation yes. to come and attack you. So you have to have that balance. So these three are the pillars in my mind that uh, uh, define the fitness of a nation. So what have we done? If you look at Azerbaijan from from the moment it was conceived a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. They, they have been working on these three. Yeah. Very, very... Uh, Creating fake history to believe in. That, okay, so let's start from the first pillar, right? Yeah. Identity, uh, national identity. They don't, they're not indigenous to the area. No. So they created a story, a history, to make them fit there. Even the choice of the name Azerbaijan, why did they choose it? To, uh, to connect them to the, the land. The land. Yeah. Because they're not from there, yeah. from their... You know, their ancestors are from uh, Central Asia. So they came up with a, with a history, fake history, uh, borrowing uh, the history of local, the cultures uh, yep, who, of the who local. Who were there, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they borrow Persian history. They make it theirs. Yeah, and they've then called they, and then Persian they decide, authors Azerbaijan, yeah. Persian exactly. historians yes. calling mm-hmm. him Azerbaijani. Yeah. So, so, and then uh, more recently, they spent so much money coming up with uh, crazy conspiracy theories that they're descendants from... Caucasian uh, Albanians yeah, uh, again. Yeah, Niberians, it's, it's yes. this identity concept. So uh, they they went even further with that with their war inv- of information, where they bought out journalists. Yeah, their lobbying. Your name is the, you know I mean, with, with their caviar diplomacy to push this around the world, and the next thing you know, the concept of Azerbaijan's territorial integrity was being pushed by the Western nations who know very well the, the history of that area. Uh, the, the second part, the economy, okay? They knew that it was uh, James Carville's uh, quote, it's the economy, stupid, <laughs> okay? Yeah. It's all about the economy, something that we as a nation don't understand, uh, it seems. So they brought in the British, they brought in uh, all, all sorts of people to invest in their land. Why? Because if you have investments there, there then you will, will fight to protect your investments. Oh, yeah. You will stand, all of a sudden you'll be, you know, saying, yeah, Azerbaijan, Artsakh is Azerbaijan's land. Because, you know, maneuvering. Because, you know, uh, they're selling you the rights to the gold mining there. Well, why wouldn't you say that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And the third being the military. I mean, they armed themselves to the teeth. So they worked on their fitness. And what did we do <laughs> all these years? So uh, the econ- our economy, uh, I don't know. Uh, let, let's start from national identity, okay? We were very vulnerable to uh, external and internal uh, attacks to our national identity. You had all these people introducing this idea that, no, we were weak. It was the Russians that made us win the war in 1994. Uh, same thing they've done during the Soviet Union where they shut down our, our uh, churches and they made fun of our culture. So why? Because they were attacking that main pillar. 
So once we don't know who we are, once we don't value yeah. each other, once we are, you know, uh, divided, the one pillar is down already. It's almost like a demoralization. Exactly. Yeah. So as far as the economy is concerned, uh, we, we, the Armenians had most of the oil refineries in Baku. Okay, Baku was built by Armenians. Imagine mm-hmm. most of the oil refineries were in our hands. But I guess we didn't think about wheeling and dealing like like they did you know what i mean had had we, had we been the ones who said to the british you know come come over we'll give you the oil help us uh, yeah. keep our lands we don't apparently we don't think that way uh militarily what a catastrophe putting all of your eggs in the basket of russia russia with a traditional uh you know uh, trade uh, um, whole history of of uh, betraying uh, us uh, how, how how i mean the minute we joined the cso i think it was downhill from there yeah. uh when uh, you don't have uh it checks and balances of who is providing you weapons or or you know military alliances it's it's like putting all of your money in one stock okay yeah major major mistake mm-hmm. so um uh, we we contributed to uh, to our downfall, and the major Achilles Achilles heel would be Armenia not knowing or, or not letting itself connect with the diaspora and an Artsakh, the not seeing us all as a cumulative. Uh, and in 1991, oh my God, mistakes galore, but we'll go there next. I'll have you know, when you say we, uh, see when you say we, I it it was obviously it was the governing powers of that time who totally. were, I, I believe that they were, you know, uh, under the influence of Russia. Um, even, you know, there, there's stories about uh, Vazgen who was leaning towards the West. Uh, and uh, that's one of the reasons why he was taken out, you yeah. know, um, be, it, <clears throat> and, and Russia, you know, did everything in their power to make sure that they, we stayed under their uh, you know, umbrella, pa- umbrella. Yeah. and the people, I think, you know, it, in 91, during the war and then after war, you had those difficult times in Armenia with no electricity, no water, really bad winters and everything. So people were exhausted. So nobody was really paying attention to what was happening. Um, so like you said, they, they psychologically messed every, our, our culture up. Yeah. And we had just, reco- we, we weren't even recovered from the Soviet Union. No. I mean, we just had freedom of being able to start looking into our identity. As far as identity, you know, when I, when I talk about ethnocide, I'm, I'm mostly talking about the Armenians who were left behind in Turkey. Uh, some, a, a lot of them were forced to become Muslim. Uh, yes. A lot of them uh, are hidden Armenians and so on. Uh, same ethnocide in during the Stalin era, right? Uh, if you were nationalistic, you got sent to uh, Siberia. Yeah. But that ethnocide did not apply to the diaspora. Okay, so the, in the diaspora, there was no force uh, uh, imposing you to change your identity. So I think the Armenian cause took, uh, you know, it, it was the diaspora that brought mm-hmm. it back. Okay. It took us a while. The first sure, 60 years, I think the diaspora was involved in recovery and, and survival. But uh, slowly, uh, with the work of individuals 
again, such as uh, Professor Richard Hovhannisian, who put together, who put back to, uh, our history together. Uh, I think the the Armenian cause took, I mean, uh, was revived in the in the diaspora, yeah. uh, because uh, just like you said, Armenia stayed under the uh, influence of Russia. Yeah. Uh, but but again, uh, 1991. You know, why do we go back to that uh, date? Because we had a small window of opportunity yeah. to reversal yeah, of this. So if if uh, oh the the only difference between the diaspora, uh, yeah, the diaspora did not go through ethnocide, but the diaspora did not have a state that that uh, represented it. It did not have the platform of a state, so it could not take uh, Turkey to the to the courts. Because mm-hmm. it was not a state, so yeah. that's the difference. So here you have your, you know, your knowledge of ethnicity, your knowledge of history, and you're reviving your cause, but you don't have a voice on the in, on international level. Whereas the state of Armenia did, but you had, you know, powers oppressing yeah. that. Uh, but in 1991, after going through uh, all that tragedy and trying to gain independence from USSR. Why would you go back into a military alliance with the entity that you were trying to extricate yourself yeah. from? It just doesn't make sense. The other thing, uh, in 1991, uh, by the way, if you don't stand uh, next to history and, and truth uh, as a state, uh, you lose, you lose the, the, tr- the trust of your people of and, and you lose the respect of others. So in 1991, the entity that stood next to truth was Azerbaijan. Okay, in 1991, they denounced the, the Soviet years as occupation, which was phenomenal. I mean, that takes guts, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but the other thing they did, they announced themselves as the new independent Azerbaijan, mm-hmm. as a successor of the 1918 Azerbaijan, which was mind which was like a gift given to us on a silver platter because we should have, we should have jumped all over that to tell them oh well that's great but 19, the 1918 Azerbaijan did not contain Nakhchevan yes. and Artsakh in it even that we didn't do <laughs> it was just incredible what did what did when i say we i'm talking about the state of armenia sure yeah, yeah. so what did the state of armenia do it announced itself uh, as the third independent republic successor of soviet armenia now, well, why would you do that so automatically you're saying you've already created your own you're boundaries saying, and western armenia yeah. are not mine and uh, you know by artsakh is basically azerbaijan's and then when we won the war we became de facto occupiers of our own land yeah so had we done the same thing that azerbaijan had done had we had uh, courage to de- to denounce the soviet era as as occupation and announce that all the uh treaties signed by that by the soviet union was null and void mm-hmm. we're talking about the gars treaty the moscow treaty and all the all the all the treaties or, or the policies that moved uh Nakhichevan and, Azer- and artsakh to azerbaijan and and we had announced uh, ourselves as the successor of the 1918 Armenia. We're talking about Wilsonian Armenia. So automatically, the message would have been Anakhichevan and Artsakh are occupied by Azerbaijan. Yeah, you would have flipped the script on them. Totally. Yeah. We made ourselves, with our own hands, 
the occupiers of our own land. Mm-hmm. Major, major m- mistake. Of it course, makes, are you but who drove us to do that? I think again, we were under pressure not to do that. Besides all, besides the the the, the leaders that came onto the scene, like well, I mean, at that time it was Yeltsin who uh, you know Yeltsin brought Putin, and um, I don't know if Putin being KGB had some kind of a dirt on on Yeltsin, but you know you, you because. Yeltsin himself was was a very well. He was a, he was a very sloppy individual. Yeah, yeah. Very he, he had done individual. a lot of. I mean, there's stories about him being. I don't know a, if that was by design person. or if that was just who he was. I've never personally looked that much into it, but I do know he was a very. Those were very sloppy years. Yeah, and and when he he's the one who brought Putin, you know, yeah. in and made him first he was the um what was he some kind of a position and then became the prime minister and then later yeah. on president but you know i think the deal was that yeah we're going to go through the whole now russian federation but they still kept the same you know soviet uh mentality, mentality and and i mean maybe the soviet union didn't exist but it did because their influence was still in Armenia and other Soviet and all the other all the other republics. Well. And if you think about it, financially, you say uh, as far as economy goes, right? Um, what do we do? We gave everything to them from our railroads to our, uh, you know, electrical, gas. I mean, whatever you can think of, yeah. we just handed it to them. And um, by the way, Russia. Well, let me let me rephrase that. Armenia is the only ex-Soviet country that is not i don't want to say still but ended up paying dues to russia and none of the other ex-soviet countries did as well they they didn't armenia is the only one who pays who paid dues to to russia please protect us yeah basically in other words Uh, it's unbelievable it's it's mind-boggling but i i come back to the idea of knowing who you are and standing up for yourself mm-hmm. uh and i think the only time we gained uh the world's respect or they paused was in 1994 when we won that first mm-hmm. war and uh even there even there we made major mistakes because if you're winning you don't stop a war okay so who, who stopped it russia again mm-hmm. uh basically it was like a, they stopped so that in hindsight, it looks as if to they gave Azerbaijan time to recover and come back. Uh, but if we were winning, uh, we uh, victories should have consequences, right? Of so course. we should have continued the war since we were winning until we got Azerbaijan to uh, sign a peace treaty that said that these are officially to you. yours. Yeah. By the way, uh, Azerbaijan has done that already. It's September thirtieth of nineteen twenty. There's a document signed by the Russians and the Azeris that says we are no longer contesting any of your lands, Armenia, Nakhichevan, Razangezur, and Artsakh belong to you legally. Mm-hmm. This, this is done by Azerbaijan, and, and the document is, is available. I mean, it's such a tragic. Uh, by the way, uh, when it comes to Artsakh, Artsakh was also recognized as part of Armenia by the League of Nations. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The so, maps, we, so, yeah. We, so we have all yeah. these things. Uh, the only thing that was left to do, according to the League of Nations back then, was to draw the border the between yeah. between uh, between Armenia and and uh, Azerbaijan, 
and they they uh, rejected Azerbaijan's uh, membership application to the League of Nations. Why? Saying that you have never existed as a country before, so we don't know where you, where your boundaries are, and and you're contesting. <laughs> this is all on paper. We, this this BS. this all exists. So I guess my point is when they spend an arm and a leg, uh, they pay off the entire world mm-hmm. to push all these falsehoods and fabrications. Uh, what do we do? We, we stayed quiet about the truth, the, the, the facts that we have, the, the, so many maps uh, dating all the way back to the second century BC that show Artsakh was part of Armenia. Uh, it's it's really it's really sad. Yeah, I wanted I so, wanted to ask you about that in your book. You mentioned that there's a lot of misperceptions and falsehoods and whatnot. Um, I mean, I know you already started elaborating on it, but I mean, keep going. This is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Paris uh, P- Paris Peace uh, Treaty. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, basically, that was done right after World War One. Yeah. And Armenia was invited. Uh, by the allies to so that they decide what the borders of Armenia would be. Uh, so uh, what the Armenian uh, delegation turned in, uh, we have we have that map. It includes Nakhichevan. It includes uh, uh, Artsakh. The way the way the boundaries are drawn uh, around Artsakh, they also include some of Utik. Okay, so mm-hmm. you have Artsakh, which was the twelfth province of the Kingdom of Armenia. You have, uh, or was it the tent? And then you have Utik next to it. And then you have Paitagaran, where Baku is. Paitagaran yeah. was the 15th province. So the delegation to the Paris Peace Conference, uh, the way they drew the borders, they took some of Utik too. The main city of, in Utik mm-hmm. being Gansak, which is now known as Ganja. Yeah. Uh, that's an Armenian city too. So the way... Uh, Artsakh has always been described. Uh, Artsakh it's not just Nagorno-Karabakh. Nagorno-Karabakh is a Russia is a Soviet territory. Territory, yeah. So Artsakh has all sorts of lowlands. Okay, and when I talk about the lowlands, we're talking about the seven regions that we supposedly yes. occupied. Yeah. Okay, that's part of Artsakh. They, yeah. they were part of Artsakh and Utik. So when in nineteen twenty. 1921, Stalin transferred, you know, Gharapakh to Azerbaijan unilaterally, by the way. It was his own call. It's <laughs> completely illegal. Of course it was. Uh, against the will of the Armenians. Okay, if this was a disputed land, uh, you don't just hand, hand the land to, to one of the parties like that. There has to be some kind of, a, uh, you know, meditation, uh, mediators, mm-hmm. mediator, me, mediator that decides upon history and demographics, some kind of... So he basically handed it to them. So when he first handed it to them, he handed the whole thing with the lowlands, you know, with the Karvachar, Kashatar, uh, Veranda, all of the surrounding lands. So what they did, uh, they carved out all of those lands, the famous seven regions that we supposedly occupied, they carved them out, okay, and they left the mountainous area, and they called it Nagorno, which is a Russian word, uh, mountainous. They called it Nagorno-Karabakh, and they made it, what? An autonomous enclave, yeah. self-governed enclave. The name of the place was the autonomous enclave of Nagorno-Karabakh throughout the Soviet Union. So, and then the, the surrounding lands got absorbed into Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan yeah. Why? Because they basically encapsulated 
Nagorno-Karabakh into Azerbaijan so that it has no other no way of reattaching itself to Armenia. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the, the other thing that uh, Aliyev is so is so allergic about and he pays people to never use this terminology is the fact that Nagorno-Karabakh was autonomous throughout the Soviet Union. So it was mm-hmm. almost independent. But do you see that terminology being used no. anywhere? No one uses it. Why? Because they don't want to upset them. That's something that completely was shoved under the rug by the whole world, to be honest. So what did we do for 30 years? You know, we, we and had, that, and we that had ties one, into what you're saying with economic power. Totally. 100%. Totally. Yeah. Uh, they all, they all uh, pushed the Azeri narrative because... Don't step on that toe. Because they're gaining. They have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're making... Uh, they're profiting from, from Artsakh. And that's why they, they were quiet for nine, nine uh, months, nine, ten months. You have, you know, uh, gold mines there being... Uh, Investors healed from... Like and with foreign, yeah. and foreign yeah. investors. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess what I'm trying to say is when we won the war, uh, we, it, went, it all went downhill from there because of external and internal, uh, you know... Uh, Strife. Strife. Uh, by the way, it's not just uh, no, it's, not, it's not just Artsakh that got blockaded. Armenia has been blockaded mm-hmm. for thirty years. Yeah, I mean so Turkey have, blocked, yeah, which is yeah. which is in, uh, totally illegal. So, uh, bottom line, I think when you don't stand up for yourself, when you don't stand next to your, uh, you know, uh, the right side of history, you don't know how to protect your rights. You don't know how to speak up for your rights or fight for your rights. No one respects you mm-hmm. one second uh, it's an open invitation to you to know, be attacked to be attacked yeah. so that's what the current government unfortunately has done uh, and the previous ones uh it, the previous ones you all, you almost wonder if they were puppets of, of, of they, they were yeah, i mean they were they were, they because, were, ben- because they were what, benefiting what been, from being in power yeah and, what would have been so a normal so reaction when when armenia got independence what's I mean, the first thing that crosses your mind what's the normal thing that they should have done. Sue Turkey for the genocide. It's a no-brainer, right? You gained your independence, but that's not how they were programmed. They were, they were programmed throughout the Soviet era to distrust each other. Uh, you know, and so it's funny you say that. Um, I was just having this conversation outside before you arrived, uh, and I don't know if Andy's watching, uh, but we're talking about in, in 30 years when, when the Artsakh war happened, there was more... Artsakhsis in Artsakh than they were um, recently. Uh, I think the numbers were somewhere around 250,000 Artsakhsis lived in Artsakh um, in 1991 when the war started. And then, you know, we're talking about how the decline of population, uh, population is one of the most pivotal parts of a country. And instead of like you said, 30 years, instead of growing, Artsakh should have been 500,000 right now, and Armenia should have been yes, 6 but, million uh, right but now. but what happened to that billionaire who married 700 couples in Artsakh and wanted to increase the population? population what yeah. happened to that billionaire? He's, uh, he got sent to Russia, and he, was, uh, he died in the prison there. Yeah. Putin asked for him to be handed over. So they... So what what's happening right now has been in the works for 30 years basically yeah okay. uh, this was gonna happen it's programmed it was programmed to happen but what, what what's frustrating is 
are we as a people that blind or is, or is the government, you know, as a diaspora, um, I, we, it's like being that, that per brother that's watching something happen in your brother's or sister's house through the window um, and you can't do anything about I'm gonna it. Answer that yeah. question. We're short term thinkers. Mm -hmm. These people, we've talked about this with other topics. These people, these sharks, okay, they think 15, 20, 30, 50 years ahead. They don't plan for what's going to happen this coming weekend. They think about 10, 15, 20 years from now. And this is how they demoralize you over time. You don't know what's coming because you're thinking about how am I going to make my money in the next year? That's what these people that were in charge previous to this current administration were thinking like. Feed us, give us, let yeah. us get rich. What am I going to get right now? While enemies, let's call them that, we're thinking about, okay, whatever, let them have their cake right now. 10, 15 years from now, we're going to do this, like you've been mentioning. This is the difference, man. I mean, a nation that doesn't have vision, doesn't know what it wants to accomplish, it ceases, ceases to be, uh, to be uh, a nation. Yeah. And on top of it, we deferred our protection to the, <laughs> to the yeah. entity that has abused us. And what happened to the economy? And, and, and what happened to the billions? It went into the pockets of leaders. Yeah. Complacency thinking that you're going to have protection by the same yeah. entity. Yeah. By, by the way, that second pillar, the economy that yeah. we mentioned. Okay, what happened to the economy during, uh, during all these years? Well, what happened to it was that this external power yeah. encouraged corruption. Okay, so, so that's what did us. Because that's, that's how they, that's the how they recovered went themselves. into corrupt uh, pockets uh -huh. instead of, we had so much work to do from 1991. We had so much work to do, which Azerbaijan did, and we didn't, even in the diaspora. But then I, I don't want to blame the diaspora because, as I said earlier, it doesn't have the platform of a state. Yeah. I'm sorry, diaspora did a lot. They, they, diaspora did a lot. built roads, did a lot. built. Uh, schools diaspora became a bank but, account but for they them also, but they also uh, got they rich could, off the diaspora that's what i'm saying yeah. they okay. used us uh you know i mean come on all the projects we did in artsakh in armenia uh, you know this this thing when they say what as as a diasporan you have no right to to uh you know criticize armenians in armenia you know what wait a minute when you need help yeah you come to us you're scrambling help us help us help us and then we do and then when we have the right to give our opinion you know i i've had this uh, conversation with friends as well oh as a diaspora you have no right because you don't live there unless you go live there then you'll get to have the right to make decisions of what what they decide to do how they vote and this and that no i'm sorry i always say if my brother in his house is having major issues and his family's about to collapse i have the right to step in and help and bring my, uh, give my opinion or mm -hmm. try to do something what what are you going to just sit there and go well i don't live there so i don't have the right to vote there so i'm just going to let them fall apart i'm sorry that's a cop out that's a cop out you cannot think that way well it, it goes back to identity and uh you know p p putting your collective resources together. You know what I mean? Putting, putting yourself and your people first. Yeah. But throughout the Soviet era, when you had uh, a, uh, a system that encouraged Armenians to turn in each other, you know what I mean? Uh, anybody, uh, they, they encourage being non-nationalistic mm -hmm. because whomever was nationalistic, God forbid, they got uh, exiled and all that. So 
it goes back to ethnocide, right? They they re-engineered the Armenian character, they and uh, they did major harm. But um, it's sad because individually we have some major geniuses. I mean, we've we invented do. so many things. But when it comes, who took to, a claim of those in, in, inventions? Soviet. The, yeah, of course. Yeah, Soviet yeah. Union, but I mean, right? throughout the world. Yeah. But when it comes to creating a nation, we. I hate to say this, but we act like we act like a tribe, like backwards tribe. We, it's it's sad, but uh, we we could have done much much yeah. more. Yeah, that, it's, that, it's very tragic. It, that's that's one of the key words. Could have, could have, and we didn't. But um, anybody who's joining us, um, uh, you know, we have Katya joining us. She's the author of Forbidden Homeland, um, story of a diasporan. Uh, you know everything we've talked about so far. You you, you do cover it in the book, but you tell it yeah. from your mm-hmm. story. So you uh, know um, the rest of the title, yeah. uh, "Forbidden Homeland: Story of a Diasporan." Uh, the, the book is the the story of my generation. Okay, the generation whose grandparents were genocide survivor survivors, and I think the generation that felt the the passion for justice the most because these were our grand, grand mm-hmm. grandparents unfortunately that feeling uh, as you move further away from that generation it's it's kind of dwindling uh, down it's, yeah. it's kind of dwindling yeah. down but um, i made the book my memoir on purpose because i wanted to write it in my voice intentionally uh to to basically uh, say that uh, what's happening to the armenian nation is is an ongoing crime i wanted to give it a uh, current voice of course yeah and it's uh, therefore the book doesn't look to the past because i don't want it to be about the past because the crime is continuing now and mm-hmm. we know what uh, their final goal is uh so that's why it's written in a very vivid uh, current voice mm-hmm. uh, on purpose as i said uh and uh, it, it explains the Armenian genocide the way I think we should have explained it. Okay, I think we should have emphasized the pan-Turkic ambition behind it. Uh, the more we kept quiet about, about the truth, the, the more our, our explanations were so rudimentary and, yeah. and basic. We gave them the opportunity, we gave the other side the oppor- opportunity to weave their tales. You know, for example, they said, uh, at one point, they said there was a civil war during World War One. That's why we got killed. Uh, or we were the fifth yeah, column. Yeah, that's, that's the major lie. We, we were the yeah. fifth column. We were coming after them. We were helping the Russians. But wait a minute. Was there a war during the Hamidian massacres? No. You know what Mm-mm. I mean? So, uh, so we, we uh, I don't know if it's going to help now, but uh, r- regardless, things change. Uh, leaderships come and go. You never know. The intent of the book is to educate us to rebuild our ethnic identity uh, because we need to know the truth first yeah. to be able to fight for it. So that's what the book tries to do. Uh, it pushes back on all the fabrications uh, coming from the other side. Uh, it uh, exposes all the Western uh, involvement that's covered yeah. up also from the CERF Treaty, from uh, the pre- you know, President Woodrow Wilson's uh, arbitral award. Uh, so that's that's the intent. the The major goal of the book yeah. is, is education. And, and, you, and you tell the story of, I mean, the the book that you have it written. It really starts from you from Lebanon and what you experience 
the war in Lebanon as, as a child. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I can't even imagine what you went through, get here and then kind of discover this new identity, like you said, through by chance of these two girls you met in, in college. I mean, it, it's a fascinating it's a, story. It's a, almost like a great story of like a destiny point. Like you yeah. reached this moment that was just, uh, I'm telling going you, I'm to not pick you up and take a you off. Superstitious person. No, no. I, the way things happen, it's as if the story came to me to be told. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the reason why I go into the Lebanese experience is because when I was uh, researching about my grandparents' uh, mm-hmm. story, you know, it, it took so much effort, uh, and then I realized, that, well, wait a minute, how about the diasporan story? Mm-hmm. Why was I born in Lebanon? Because I was, I was the grandchild of refugees. Okay, so then I wanted to explore the Lebanese side of the story, Lebanese Armenian side of the story, and uh, and I and I and I appreciated uh, the uh, importance of writing down my experiences and the Armenian Lebanese experience, uh, so that my offspring, uh, if they want to know of course, you're, you're about our experiences, our, our experiences w- would know what we have gone mm-hmm. through, but the. The main point being the Lebanese-Armenian ex- experience is just an extension of the genocide. Okay, yeah. There would have been no Lebanese-Armenian community if it weren't for the, for the genocide. So you can't extricate one from the other no. because my existence, your existence, our stories uh, are in direct consequence to the genocide. So you can't separate the two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, uh, thank you everybody who's joining us live on uh, Facebook, YouTube, and X. Um, those of you who will be listening to us later on in the podcast, uh, we'll have the link for the book in the body so you guys can click on that in order. And those of you who are watching us right now, the uh, QR code is on the screen. You can scan that and order her book. It's a fascinating story. You guys want to read this. Um, and an award, you, if, award-winning book, award-winning. Yes, that's right. Yes. We uh, it won. That. It yeah. won the uh, Library Titan Gold Book Award that's and really third place in the World Politics category in 2023 Spring Book Fest Awards. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and these are the only so. two contests that I entered the book in. And so really? far, yeah. so far, yeah. Yeah. so far. Um, and those of you who might have questions, uh, please feel free in the chat to uh, to ask question, and we'll pass it on. To Katya and uh, RP says hello. Hi, RP. Uh, she's here with us. <laughs> um, so one of the questions is, uh, you know, so much. Obviously, you did so much research, and uh, what would be some of the pivotal historical facts or narratives that you aim to cover in, in this book, The Forbidden Homeland? Can you shed some light on that? Uh, you, you know, I always. Uh I always dis- I, I like to describe my book as an Armenian American uh, journey because yeah. uh, I found my relatives here mm-hmm. in America. Uh, so uh, besides that, uh, since I'm an American, uh, I would like the, the book with the, with the book, I want to raise awareness about uh, American involvement. Uh, in foreign policies and mm-hmm. where they're, you know, where our tax dollars are going, uh, I can guarantee you the majority of the, the the American people don't know where their monies are are being spent and what policies we're pursuing uh, are being pursued in their names. 
so I wanted to expose the fact that during World War One, uh, the Armenian story was a household uh, known story. Yeah, uh, okay. it was. Oh yeah, uh, it was. The Americans were very involved from the missionaries uh, with actors. the Near East Fund, uh, oh, yeah. which was the first. Uh, you know, um, they raised fifty million dollars. Yeah, I mean, they the the Near East Fund basically saved the lives of one hundred thirty thousand yeah. uh, Armenian Ar- orphans, uh, whose descendants we we are practically. Yeah. So uh, the one thing that uh, going back to your question, uh, the one thing that uh, I go over in the book, and it's something that we need to you know put the spotlight on is uh, the June 1920 U.S. Senate vote over a mandate over Armenia. Okay, when I read about this, uh, this, this was fascinating. If you, uh, if you guys recall the terms of the SERF Treaty, okay, so the Serf, through the SERF Treaty, there were mandates put on Lebanon and Syria. French, man, Fran, French mandate was put on over Lebanon and Syria, and there was a, a British mandate that was put on Iraq and Palestine, I think, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the British all, uh, uh, suggested for the Americans to put an American mandate over Armenia so that it helps Ar- the Armenians uh, to you know, stand on their feet and be able to govern themselves. Okay, so this vote took place on June 1st, I think, in 1920 uh, in the U.S. Senate. It did not pass. It did not pass because uh, Turkey and Russia by then became allies because they didn't want any Americans coming into yeah. their region. They didn't want any Westerners coming uh, to their region. Does this sound familiar? Okay, so they had amassed their their armies in 1920, and in September of 1920, they both attacked Armenia and took it over. Okay, so and divided their lands. Uh, 100 years later, on the anniversary of that invasion, in September of 2020, is when the invasion of Artsakh happened. Exactly 100 years after the 1920 September invasion of Turkey and Russia. You know, there's a lot of things. I, so, I did so, not know that. Yes. So all of this has been in the planning for years. Okay. So they, uh, they have very, um, but I'm sorry to cut you t- off. When you say planning for years, can you imagine, I mean, those people who were planning it in 1920 are not alive. Well, so that, that, that tells you, you tell, I mean, generationally, yes. this is like, programmed in okay your father's did this you're gonna have to follow through with this your grands i mean it went on and on and on and on till today yeah but i mean look at how many generations have gone but the same exact thing is repeating is insane but that's what i'm saying that it's because that invasion if you look it up if you look it up in wikipedia or in or in uh, history books that are mentioning it that invasion is described as the armenian uh, as the turkish armenian war what are we talking about? It was an invasion, just like the invasion of Artsakh of 2020 is being described as the second uh, Gharapa war. Yeah, that was that not was a, war. a genocidal invasion. We're talking about a power, a coalition, what ten times larger than the 150,000 people who just wanted to live uh, in freedom and democracy. And that's the ironic part that the Western, so to speak, uh, leaders in democracy and human rights. 
ignored Artsakh's call for independence and self self determination, mm -hmm. and uh, they completely ignored it. And whose side are they on? Uh, <laughs> so, so history is repeating. Hundred percent. Same and, and players. Yes. Same players. Just like Russia back then, uh -huh. Lenin gave all the gold and weapons to Turkey to lure it into its sphere. And where did the where did Turkey where did Ataturk use use those weapons and money to attack Armenia? Russia armed Azerbaijan to attack us, and this is our ally. I mean, uh, it's uh, we can't be this naive and stupid. The mistakes that have been have been made it's just apparently we are or when we, we say we are i'm talking about <laughs> i'm talking the, about the state the yeah. state yeah. of armenia yeah oh man it's i really mean literally it seems it seems like everything that's happened that happened post world war one uh, near the end of world war one going into the mid-20s feels as though if anyone knows any of the the pillars of the history back then almost everything seems to be cyclical yeah. On so many different facets. Yeah. yeah, every so often, I guess uh, the power sh shifts. Uh, they're that's, dressed, that's a, when, they're that's dressed I, a little bit yeah, differently. Yeah, that, that's when I said yeah. the the facade mm -hmm. of human rights falls yeah. off of the world's face. Yeah, look what's happening in in Israel, and so yeah. and we're all out. We're all about the law of the survival mm -hmm. of the fittest. Fittest meaning yeah. might the three might. pillars yeah. you you yeah. when you when you mentioned yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, you, you talked about the Armenian American journey briefly. Um, can you go a little bit more into that? Because I know you mentioned in Vic's previous question. Um, elaborate on that a little bit more about your journey from here and what you discovered. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but um, what other what other key things did you find that kind of kept driving you with this? Well, the main, the main key, I mean, the, the, the main things, uh, the main thing being the war of information yeah. that was being led by Turkey and Azerbaijan. Yeah. I, I think we didn't take that war seriously, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, seriously enough. Uh, we wanted to rely on our uh, limited resources. Uh, you know how when you start a company, uh, that company doesn't grow un unless you bring professionals, right? Of course. So I don't think we should have risked just relying on our uh, capabilities and we should have hired PR companies and uh, lobbyists just like they did to counter all that false information that literally changed the narrative. Because if you remember when the, when the Soviet Union was collapsing and the, and the Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, uh, I guess, they, they wanted to become you know, independent. Yeah. From from the Soviet Union. Uh, by the way, uh, Nagorno Karabakh, the you know the autonomous, mm -hmm. uh, followed the 1990 Russian law of secession. They they seceded from from the USSR legally. They found I mean they followed it point by point because Article Three in the in that law says if you are a an enclave that was formed during the Soviet Union, you also have the right to decide on your status. So they did everything legally. Yeah. They were coming out of the Soviet Union that was collapsing, that had put this law in, you know, uh, in effect, uh, legally. So, so what was the response from Azerbaijan? They, they initiated the war. They attacked to, to, to keep, uh, keep a hold uh, on, on, uh, and annex it once and for mm -hmm. all. So 
What I'm trying to get at uh, is I remember very well the Nagorno-Karabakh uh, movement being covered on American news. Okay, they welcomed it as a uh, uh, as the start of a democratic movement in the USSR. Okay, uh, and our story was being told correctly back then. Such an interesting okay? vantage point. Uh, yeah, it was complete. If you if you go back, it was being covered. It was being welcomed. And uh, we almost felt very important that we started a democratic movement in the USSR. But what happened 30 years later? The whole story was turned upside, upside down. And now we were being portrayed, when I say we again, the state. Uh, we, we, they, they attacked. They started a war. We won the war, to their surprise. Uh, but 30 years later... Everybody pushed this narrative that the um, um, Armenian side was the aggressors and they were occupying Azeri land. So, I mean, it's, it's just ironic the way things shift because of geopolitics. But so as I was discovering this, obviously I was getting angry uh, and I was, I was writing it down. So um, it's very gratifying when a non-Armenian reads my book. And uh, I had a very good review a couple of days ago on Amazon uh, and it's, and it's exactly what That's I was trying awesome. to accomplish. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's very educational, and a, a lot of the terminologies and the locations and uh, are Americans, so they can relate yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. An American story. You know, I tell them. You know, I, I say uh, basically, I talk about how we immigrated. Uh, we first lived in, in Van Nuys, and so so they can relate to all this. So among all this information comes the information that. You know, uh, there is a section 907 of the Freedom Act that uh, that the uh, you know the presidents are waiving to arm a dicta- dictatorial genocidal regime, and it's their tax money. So it raises awareness on on wow. that level for the Americans. And uh, yeah, so this person was very like upset because you know they hear about they all the all well, the beheadings. Uh, yeah. And all the you know war crimes that are that have been committed uh, by Azerbaijan, and they get upset that their money is going towards that. Yeah. So that's that's the value of the book. There's 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 a saying, especially these days with everything going on, your tax dollars are funding wars abroad. Yeah. yeah they, and that's not and that's not a conspiracy theory, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that, that is that is fact. Yep. Um, we're gonna get to question seven. Oh, <laughs> I think we covered most of it. <laughs> but I was gonna ask you, like, what, yeah. what you know, do, do, uh, all the research you were doing, and obviously putting your story. Um, all, you know, I, I can't even imagine while you're finding all these. I mean, you talk about a rabbit hole. It's not just one yeah, hole. It's no, holes. Many. I mean, many. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what were some of the compelling stories that you discovered that were just like, is this? one Good or question. two that stick out that you're just uh, it just blew your mind you just couldn't believe it and yeah you like, had a, like it. a wow moment yeah well the wow moment was that uh senate vote that i wasn't aware of C- okay. can you imagine for a second if that had passed and america had put a mandate over armenia i mean the whole oh, the entire world would look different uh, it, right it, now completely different uh i i think i i hit on 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 most of them but uh from your personal from, story from my, from, yeah. from my perspective okay the league of nations uh-huh. was the predecessor of yeah, the united, united nations, nations okay. yeah let's review what it's done okay it has recognized greater armenia as as a sovereign state mm-hmm. when i say greater i mean i'm referring to wilsonian armenia mm-hmm. yeah 
And uh, President Woodrow Wilson gave an arbitral award to us, okay? It, he, he, gave, he gave us, when I say, again, the state. So he gave us three of the Armenian vilayets out of the six. He, he left out uh, Cilicia and he left out three of, of the vilayets. And he gave us Drabizon so that we have access mm-hmm. to sea. And uh, according to the definition of arbitral awards, they are not reversible once they're given. Okay. So by definition, those lands are occupied by Turkey, by definition. So, so you have uh, on paper uh, the you know, League of Nations having uh, recognized Wilsonian Armenia, which included Nachichevan. Mm-hmm. Okay, Nachichevan, the word is Armenian, for God's sakes. So Nachichevan, it's one of the oldest areas of Armenia. So Nachichevan and Artsakh were recognized as part of the state of Armenia. And Article 92 of the Serb Treaty refers to Artsakh, basically. Uh, Article 92 of the Serb Treaty says the only uh, thing left to do is to decide the border between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Yeah. Nowhere in these documents does it say we recognize Artsakh as part of Azerbaijan. Nowhere near that. There was no such conversation. So when we have all this document, the state of Armenia, why is it sitting on these documents? Why is it not exposing them? So something here is not normal, and I think you touched upon it. I I don't think we ever uh, gained independence. We were always consistently under the... Uh, influence of, of Russia or, yeah. or the local powers. I mean, that- inf- I, I personally think the influence of Russia goes way before even in the 1800s. Oh, yeah. We've always been, I think, uh, from the last kingdom of Armenia, um, which ended in, uh, what what year was it? 1600s? Uh, it was in the fifth, fifth, 1500s. 1500s. Ottoman okay. rule. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Ottoman, Ottoman rule. 1500s. Uh, after that, we've been under Ottoman rule, and then for four centuries. Yeah, but I think s- Russia came in in the picture in the eighteen hundreds, and and yeah. for some reason they, I mean, you can't really blame the people at, at that time because they were like the saviors in a way. They looked at them like that, but like you said, they it was the ab- Christian. And- they were also Christian, and they were, but they were the the abusive father who beat who them constantly, always. Who always who beat them, us. and then went and caressed them and said i love you i beat you because i love you you know it's that <laughs> yeah, that totally. that's abusive you know yeah it, it is that's yeah, what no, a, that's, that's what an abusive mean, person I mean, does right absolutely so, uh, um, you listen to some of their uh, like news conferences and you're like what what are they saying i mean it almost sounds like a like the godfather movie mm-hmm. you know what i yeah. mean uh, you know we told you to stay here you know you, you insulted us by going here it's just so as as a partner i think um unlike like western powers yeah. okay we if you compare them i think as far as russia is concerned as 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 an ally uh what it does it makes sure that you don't get any stronger you know what i mean uh uh whereas western powers have empowered those mm-hmm. countries that came under their influence i, I think you can say that but as far as uh, as far as Artsakh is concerned, it was ninety six percent populated by Armenians. Okay, um, when it became when it was given as as an enclave to Azerbaijan, uh, Aliyev's father is uh, has been quoted uh, 
saying in an interview that he did everything in his power to increase the population, the to settle Azeris in, in Nagorno-Karabakh. Mm-hmm. So even with his efforts, and throughout the Soviet era, by the way, for 70 years, uh, the Nagorno-Karabakh Armenians were oppressed. Okay, You don't want to leave a, a, a place because they're treating you well. For, for 70 years, they were oppressed. So with all of his efforts of settling, uh, before the first war, war of Karabakh, uh, the Azeri population had gone up to 23%. Okay, so there were like 35,000, 40,000 Azeris in Nagorno-Karabakh. Yeah. This is in uh, 1991. Yeah. And then, you know, they, they talk about a million refugees. All of that is a, are lies. No, yeah, They're inflated. No, okay. Because if you look at the de- demographics and you look at the census, yeah. there were about 167,000 Azeris in, in Armenia. 167,000. Uh, 35,000 in Nagorno-Karabakh. Okay. And uh, in the surrounding seven lands, the seven territories that we occupied, there were 350,000, I believe. So if you add this up, it doesn't come nowhere near a million. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know what I mean? And by the way, the the Azeris who left uh, Armenia, they were compensated by the Armenian government for their... If I'm not mistaken, for their wow, properties, I, <laughs> so I didn't they didn't they didn't leave because no because no yeah that's true they they yeah, gave them money no they, so, yeah, yeah they, they didn't them. leave because of pogroms like they left like because the, they yeah first of all they wanted to leave they wanted to leave and yeah. then the thirty five thousand in, in Nagorno Karabakh left because they blockaded it and they were bombing it daily so they didn't want to be there mm. they left uh, on their own accord. In the meantime, you had almost half a million Armenians in mainland Azerbaijan that got kicked out mm-hmm. by violent pogroms. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't get compensated for nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On the contrary, their properties, their, yeah, their properties were confiscated. So if you add the 500,000 there and you add, uh, <clears throat> how about Nakhichevan? There were 50,000 Armenians mm-hmm. in 1920 in, in Nakhichevan. How many Armenians are there now? Zero. Zero. So if you add that 50,000, the 500,000, the current 120,000. Oh, by the way, we forgot about all the Armenians who got ethnically cleansed in those seven regions. Yeah. Don't forget those. Mm-hmm. When they took those, they kicked out the Armenians from there. And when I, when I say those, I'm talking about Kashatar, Karavachar, uh, yeah, Veranda. massive displacement. Okay. And uh, for example, we have, a da- we have Dadivank in Karavachar. Okay. What, what, does, what does a monastery from the... What, what is it, ninth century doing there? Yeah. Because those were our lands too. <clears throat> Same thing with, uh, with the Agdam reg- reg- region, yep. okay, where, where um, Dikranagird is from mm-hmm. the second century BC. Mm-hmm. That falls in those lands that we supposedly have. So basically, Armenians were kicked out of those lands within those 70 years. There were 500,000 were kicked out from mainland Azerbaijan. Uh, Nakhichevan was completely kicked. So, what what I what uh, Azerbaijan does, and I this is not uh, particular to Azerbaijan. This is like a Turkic modus operandi. Yeah, they deploy specific uh, specific techniques. Uh, one is gaslighting, which which falls with within the abusive yeah. uh, relationship. Yeah. You know, they make you think that you, you caused this yeah. to yourself. Uh, you know, uh, you rebelled. That's why we came and massacred you because you rebelled. You know, they don't say the yeah, story from the, the blame beginning. Game. Blame game. The second is symmetrical uh, propaganda. So whatever applies to you, they preemptively, before you apply it to yourself, 
they apply they apply it onto themselves to blur the, They're the, the victim, lines. Yeah. So if we talk about Greater Armenia, which is a historical fact, now they're talking about Greater Azerbaijan, which has never existed. Never. Uh, when we talk about Western Armenia, which is a historic place, Western Azerbaijan. they are now talking about Western Azerbaijan. Yep. They, they copy you so that they yeah. confuse uh, the rest of the world. Uh, it's like uh, but when you say con- When you say confuse the rest of the world, the educated world, West, East, doesn't matter. They know that this is all BS. Well, they do. But what we're afraid of and what we should worry about is this TikTok, Instagram uh, generation that's growing up that has a 30-second attention span that doesn't know anything about history. Our own kids in Armenia are so um, uneducated. They are so caught up with social media and, and whatever they're doing, their TikTok dances and this and festivals and so forth that they themselves, they don't know their uh, history. And like you said, if you don't know your history, you don't know your identity. And then the world, so that, that, that's what we're battling right now is because, listen, you and I, whatever time we have left in our lives, our kids, their kids, that generation, uh, and, and non-Armenians too, they don't know, they don't know world history. No. They have no. no idea. They have no idea, even today with the conflict no. of, not to get into it, Israel and, and, and Palestine. People don't know the history. No, they just they, play they, the blame they, they, game. They, they, they don't mimic, even know the history they, of Palestine, yeah. how all this began, why did was Israel created as a state, who gave those lands to Israel, and all this yeah, stuff. They mimic the first thing they hear, yeah. the first seed that's planted. And 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 the smart states mm-hmm. like Azerbaijan have mm-hmm. taken advantage of this and they use it towards us. They have learned from our mistakes, and that's the <laughs> tragic yeah. part. When you're winning, you don't stop a war. That's no. what they're doing. For 30 years, they brainwashed their youth, okay? Uh, they made us, you know, they uh, institutionalized hating yes. Armenians, Armenophobia. For 30 years, they prepared the whole generation to go back to their lands. You know what I mean? And what have we done, okay? Um, this, this leadership, when it first came... We made came, fun of them. We made fun of them. We uh, called we them... We are not educating our... Ish, our donkeys, yeah. you know, we made cartoons about them. You have uh, to f- know your enemy very, yeah. very well. Yeah, but they've but they've been funding and helping fund or bribe the right people, the people in power throughout Europe and in the West. Yeah, because they know about economy, decades. right? Absolutely. They know how economy works. And we it can sit there and like make fun do. of them all they want, yeah. but they're going to keep funneling uh, their money. Yeah, uh, it, for example, when it comes to PR companies and and. Uh-huh. Uh, Lobby, 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 lobby yeah. Unless you don't invest in them, guess what? No one's gonna <laughs> go and spread your 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 facts. You know what I'm saying? And then this you is, have to be part of the system, unfortunately. Of course, yeah. and this is this is kind of. I mean, it would segue into my next question or comment. Would be your book discusses this, right? Yes. A part of this broader oh. conversation <clears throat> in terms it discusses of all of it. Yeah, I mean, this is this this gets into that broader conversation yeah. of. Economics, macroeconomics, lobbying power, uh, what they did right in terms of trying to like, I'm not, I don't want to say buying these people. Well, listen, we, because they did do this with their oil, with their natural gas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We, we've talked about this before and, and I always try not to, uh, criticize our people, the diaspora, um, especially the diaspora is because listen, uh, we're all. You know, I, I get it. We, we, we did everything we can to keep our culture here. There's great organizations. 
Um, and if you go back and you look at organizations like AGBU or, or, or you know, um, so many other ones that we can talk about, the school systems and this and that. Yeah, they, they did great, great work to preserve our culture, the diaspora here. But now they've become very powerful institutions, right? They have lots of money. Instead of spending that on on the lobbying, like you said, um, and and the PR and things like that, what are we doing? I mean, nothing against our our our, our faith, and we we're building churches like there's no tomorrow, and the churches are empty. No one's going to church anymore. First of all, the church needs to figure out a way how to bring Armenians back to God, because people, I'm sorry, we as Armenians have have been so distanced from God and we claim the first Armenian nation, a Christian nation, this and that, blah, blah, blah. But you go to church and it's empty most of the time. Sunday mass. No, no one's there. You know, maybe a few handful of people. But again, what are we gaining by uh, what are in Glendale, $12 million land they paid for to build another church. Imagine what that 12 million would have done for lobbying and PR. This is where we're, what is wrong with our leaders? What uh, What is know. it? Like, wh- why are we so obsessed with materialistic yeah, showcasing, uh, you know? That's it right there. Yeah. You, you can stop right there. You can stop it's right really there. It's really sad. We're, we're, we're thinking about which car to buy next. Uh, I, I don't know. And and I, I keep on thinking Even we're the, smarter than this. You know, we're smarter than this. What's 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 gone wrong with us? <laughs> we are, and but it feels it's, like even the are, people. But it's, it's again, it goes back, to, in my opinion, and I'm very strong about this, is that short-term thinking. Yeah. They, we, we it's are almost, very good at that. Oh my goodness, are yeah. we ever. Because yeah. they'll I, find I think, a solution right away, but yeah. they're not thinking about 10 years from now, what are we going to do? You, you know, as far as the Armenian state goes, okay, f- first of all, you have to adapt to your environment a little. Okay, you are surrounded by autocratic, very aggressive... Sharks, wolves, whatever you want to call it. With, ...with a historic ambition to annihilate you. Yeah. Okay, so for 30 years, we should have become like, a, like an Israel. We should have armed ourselves, become like a fortress. There was so much work to be done. Uh, right after winning the war, we should have run to the international courts and the United Nations to prove that Artsakh was our land. And we should have denounced, we should have been courageous enough to denounce the Soviet, Soviets, uh, yeah. you know, occupation. Mm-hmm. And should have said that this, this was our land given to uh, Azerbaijan illegally. By the way, it was still not autonomous. Yeah. autonomous. But so all this work that needed to be done was was not done, and then and then oh my gosh! So we defer our protection to deeper yes. the, the entity that we were trying to get away from. I don't know. Maybe I'm not getting it. Uh, yeah, it's it's truly tragic. Um, going back to your experience writing the book, um, what were the biggest challenges? Obviously, having a professional life, being a mother, uh, a wife. Uh, you know that that every but that l- crazy life we all have here, constantly on the go, um, and also doing research. Um, did you w- w- like? Were you reaching out to people um, to get more information, or was it just books? Like, what were? Can you talk about those challenges you experienced? I and mean, because it took a long time for you to put this together. Um, definitely, definitely. You know, the only time I would reach out to people was to ask them did you know about this i just read this well yeah. they're like no i didn't know so i 
So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't the only one. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we had uh, scholastic books. We yeah. had, uh, uh, you know, uh, genocide scholars. Yes, but the uh, but the common folk, the the regular everyday Armenian like myself, was ignorant. So the challenge was to to uh, bring all this information in one place, in one place, connect all the dots, tell the story in its in its com- completion. But do it in a relatable conversational way. Mm-hmm. So, um, and from from uh, reviews and and imp- you know uh, feedback that I'm getting, uh, that's what is being noticed about the book that it's a conversation, but it weaves all of this information yeah. very seamlessly. And uh, there's a few uh, reviews in the beginning uh, in the you know uh, right right inside the cover of the book. Uh, that's what they say. So that was the challenge to weave all this historical facts in a way where the reader doesn't feel that he's being lectured. Yes, uh, it's still a conversation. It's in a conversational, relatable, uh, written way. I, I think that was the challenge, and I was able, from the looks of it and from the awards, it looks like I've accomplished it. Yeah. So uh, my story was the was the living testimonial. Uh, that's why I wrote it in my personal voice to. Uh, you know, uh, basically bring the audience in, in the now, because this is a current story. Uh, unlike some, you know, other, uh, I guess, uh, classical genocide, it's not a genocide book. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a discovery book. It's almost a, it's like. a self-discovery book, yeah. but it's also deep and Turkic ambition that we're living through. It's, it's a very current, as I said, and it, and it finishes. So ironically, I was almost done in 2019. Uh, I was done and I was, I was so uh, worried about all the rhetoric that was coming out of Azerbaijan. And I kept on telling people, you know what, they're going to go for it. And uh, I remember um, uh, once at a Navarsartian Games, uh, I, t- I told someone who's very involved in Armenia from the diaspora, has, he had invested so much. So I told him, you know what, I feel like they're going to, attack from you know both sides and uh, the, what, what what year was this maybe i don't know 2017 uh, uh and and he said what are you talking about 30 years went by that will never happen none of us expected that they will continue the armenian genocide yeah. right no, no, it, none of us uh, no, you know it didn't cross our minds that they would go for it, you know, in, in this century, uh, and the way they went for it, for it, the way they disguised it, and now they're going, you know, uh, Aliyev is admitting out in the open that he attacked, and his dream was to do this. So for the genocide to continue in this day and age, and for the world to let it, uh, I think that's where the trauma comes, because we're all like... Yeah. Uh, it's quite shocking, you know. I sometimes I tell my coworkers. I don't know how to tell them. Uh, what do I say? We yeah, lost, where do you we start? Lost, we lost some more of our country, and we're okay with it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, what was, it's just it's just it's exhausting crazy. to tell our story over and yeah. over. It's, it's, it's like you don't know where to begin, yeah. where to explain. It's like you talk about the Artsakh war, and then you tell them what's happening, and they look at you like, okay. Yeah, we get it. It's another war and this and that. But for them to really understand, 
I have to go back and tell them where it started. Well, you have, I don't yeah. have the time to tell them where it started, but they don't have the attention span to sit there and listen to me. I have to go in detail and tell them, well, in 18, there, you know, the yeah, very median massacre people, yeah. started this. Very few people do. So here's, I think, the best way. Now, you've written a great book. Um, everybody who's watching us, um, you guys see the QR code on the screen. If you don't have this book, uh, you need to scan that and order it and get this book. First, you need to read it yourself because there is information that you may have not known about. Uh, none of us are perfect historical experts. We, you know, no. just because we do historical podcasts doesn't mean we know everything. No. We research, we try to learn. That that's the or point we of this learn, podcast. We learn something we every learn, time we yeah, talk to somebody. We learn, uh, we learn, and we share it with you guys, and we learn together. That's the point. But then, after you purchase this book right here, you guys need to pass it on. Um, to a non-Armenian, have them read it. Just give it to them. Say, hey, read this book. I'll tell you one thing. Americans love reading books. And for some reason, they have time to read books. Well, well here's, here's to your point, to piggyback what you just said. Right now, right now, everything that's going on in the world, yeah. there's, it's become like a tabletop conversation with everybody yeah. about everything. Not just specifically what's going on in the Middle East, but everything, anything that comes up. Right now is a really good time. Yeah. You want to educate people or help each other get educated? Yeah. With history, with knowledge, this is the time. Yeah. It really is, as weird as it sounds. It's yeah. true. Well, yeah. j just like for 30 years, Azerbaijan uh, prepared for this moment, we have to uh, quit be being lazy. Of course. And start educating. Just like you said, our, our, it starts from our youth. They have to know. Uh, get the right books in the yeah. school yeah uh it, it it almost wants me to say that you know um heritage is, is not just uh cuisine and and songs and genats it's not just it's that. not no it comes with the responsibility of protecting it and also pr pr passing it on so uh we have to now tell our story the way it should have been told to the world we, uh, there's a lot of work to be done there uh, my book is not the only one that's attempting to do this. There's a lot of documentaries coming out, a, a lot of books. So we have to push back uh, and tell our story we, because we don't know where we're going. Uh, the world, things change. It's, it's always dynamic. So we don't know how things might, might change. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what, this, what Armenia is doing, but things, again, can change. But we also have to uh, hire professionals. You know, yeah. we we criticize. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say we criticize. We, we don't uh, appreciate what kind of value one tweet from a Kim Kardashian does. Okay, that's the equivalent of maybe several uh, PR companies combined mm -hmm. because she has what? How many followers? So basically, we have to take our story to the mainstream, to the level where Azerbaijan has taken its own, its, its lies and fabrications. Yeah. Uh, we can't, uh, keeping a nation is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Of it, it there's is. a lot of vision and work that go, it's, it's not for the lazy. If you're lazy, then give the whole thing away and let's be done, let's be done with it. So uh, that work starts, should start. It should have started yesterday, but it should start from our schools. Uh, and we are not teaching, uh, uh, you know. Uh, First you know, of all, we're, we're, if got, I can, we're, te we're teaching our facts. If I can add something there, yes, it needs to start from the schools, but there's a few problems in the schools. Number one, 
I don't think we have the right historical books in the schools to teach the right history uh, because from what I see, it's... I could attest to that. It's the bullet points of the stories of Kajvartan and so forth, right? Yeah. The other thing is there's a division within Armenian school of Western, Eastern. This has got even the kids. I, I mean, I understand there's a line, but the fact they say, I don't understand Western Armenian. What is it that you don't understand? It's the same words. The dialect is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And they, they do that on purpose. And then the kids, guess what? They're great friends. They're best friends. One's Eastern, one's Western. But they won't speak Armenian to one another or Parskahai. They won't speak Armenian because they already been kind of shamed with that division a division of i don't i don't i might say that word differently or i didn't understand that word yep. because it's a little bit more arabic or mine's a little bit too russian or this and that whatever instead of saying hey you know what and i told this to my daughter um she, she has really close friends who are western Parska, and i said listen talk to each other in armenian if they say a word you don't understand or you say a word say hey what does that mean they'll explain it to you now you know and you know what? You never know. You might start using that word or they might start using. But you need to communicate in Armenian. Because of that, they're all speaking English to one another. Yeah. And what we're doing is fighting at home with the kids. Speak Armenian. Speak Armenian. Speak Armenian. I mean, I've had, I mean, me and my wife go at it all the time about this. I'm like, I've had enough. I can't do this. Every second word is speak Armenian. Speak Armenian. Speak Armenian. But you can't blame the kids because even in Armenian school, they're speaking English because there is that division. Well, that's why R.P. Kikorian is going to be publishing <laughs> books for the kids, you know, fiction books, but in Armenian. So, uh, listen, it, it takes a few people to get something rolling, and yeah. uh, we, we have to do something. As you know, the Western Armenian dialect is uh, UNESCO on the UNESCO endangered yeah. Yeah. Uh, list. It, it starts from someplace. Uh, one thing about us, uh, there there must be a reason why we've been around for what seven thousand years. There is resilience in us, and yeah, and course. I believe in that. Unfortunately, we are uh, peace loving people. We are creators of beauty. You know, we we build beautiful things, but we have to learn how to have a vision for ourselves, and that comes from maybe a uh, uh, a collective constitution that includes all of the Armenians. And and uh, something as simple as giving uh, citizenship, uh, Armenian citizenship, to all the Armenians. Just, I, just I, like I don't know. It, so but the, it, it didn't. Israel, it, it, Israel it again, do that in Turkey too. Yeah, I yeah. Think so Turkey it again comes. Yeah. Unfortunately, the diaspora does not have the yeah. platform or the power of the state of yeah. Armenia. So maybe, hopefully, uh, we will have uh, you know visionary leadership i mean you talked about the citizenship we 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 put restrictions on on our own people like like you said every armenian should automatically if you're born armenian should automatically get an armenian citizenship i've talked about this in the past i got an armenian citizenship through sports but i wasn't allowed to vote in armenia that was the one thing i didn't which is fine yeah it's fine there's nuances but there's a way to connect everybody that's what i'm talking about Maybe uh, our taxes might be mi- minimal, based you know, c- uh, compared to uh, let's say a citizen of, of Armenia who's living there, right? Mm-hmm. So there's ways of doing it. We have to do it for our survival. Something, yeah, it because has to the 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 Armenian majority, it's it's not so silent, but it's silent on on international platforms. Is the diaspora? 
It, it is the Armenian majority. Yeah, but then you're going to have the critics from here. Why am I giving taxes to Armenia? What is that government doing, taking my money and using it for their lavish lifestyles? This and that. I mean, that's the well, thing. It, All we do is attack one but another. But that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, if if uh, if we're going to have citizenship, we have to have some say on some level. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's that what I'm saying. You cannot out. not have say yeah, if, and if, take taxes because from me, we yeah. didn't we didn't um, ask for any accountability. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, look what happened. Uh, we should have. We should have. It's like a. It's like a parent who just keeps on gifting uh, lavish gifts upon uh, his his doesn't, children doesn't and doesn't uh, doesn't yeah. ask for any responsibility uh -huh. in return. You destroy that uh, person, right? So, so that's basically on a on a national level. Well. Yeah. Again, um, everyone who is watching and will be listening later on on our podcast, uh, please go ahead uh, and, and purchase the book, order it through Amazon. It's also available on uh, Barnes & Noble, right? Uh, yes, it's available on Barnes & Noble's, uh, barnesandnoble.com, uh, Ingram Spark, also Abril Bookstore and Sardarabad Bookstores. Yeah, but like I said, the key is not just for you to get this book and read it for yourself. We want you to give it to a non-Armenian um, and have them read it. Just sure. hand it to them. Say, hey, read this book. It's really exciting. It's a great story, uh, you know, and don't give too much about it. Don't mention what it is. Let them read it. Let them read it and discover the story yeah. of, of, of Armenia and its past and everything that you experienced through your eyes. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, we talk about storytelling, like I said, the reason why it resonates with uh, uh, other cultures who read the book is because of the fact that it's told from an uh, Armenian-American side, like mm -hmm. you said, the local uh, uh, cities mentioned, the things you've experienced, because at the end of the day, we are Americans, we live here, and we need to tell our stories, uh, the diaspora stories, uh, through, through, uh, in a way that the other cultures can relate, like, hey, he's from Van Nuys, or he's from Hollywood, oh, wait, with, this happened. With exactly what she said yeah. she's doing, with tying in actual historical facts, yes. which people are always interested in. Yeah, yeah. You know? People love by, history. By the way, no, the editor do. of my book uh, is, is Mexican. She has a PhD in education. And she said she totally related to it, because, yeah. because it goes back to the law of, of the survival, survival of the fittest, fittest which yeah. which applies to all of us okay uh she related to the immigration side of the story uh persecution that's a heck she's of like a, this yeah. this is so uh very very relatable um unfortunately our numbers are also shrinking now from the middle, middle eastern countries mm -hmm. that had let us in so the, our stories there are also uh diminishing you know, retaining that memory is also yeah. important by the way, the most popular chapter is on Burj Hamoud. That, that's that's the chapter that Armenian <laughs> Lebanese Armenians uh, are, are loving. Uh, although you know, uh, I I discuss the whole nation, uh, no, no <laughs> the, all the different communities. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. So, do we get to the time machine question? No, I don't think you. Uh, no. uh, well, I mean, we've been talking about the impacts <laughs> the book would have. Yeah. Well, I mean, true. for the last well, I mean, seven eight minutes. I mean, I I. What, what what do you want people to take, take from this take book? Away from take the book. away from the book. Like, what would be... To, the, to cap it. Um, from both the Armenian side and non-Armenian side, if you can kind of... 
uh, from the Armenian side, uh, you know, it's it's like letting go of your child. We have a responsibility yeah. to retain and and know who we are, uh, and and that's not a joke. We have to do it now because it's come down to our survival. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as non-Armenians, this is this uh, this story is part of the humanity's story. You know, the cumulative humanity story, and. Uh, they they have to know about it too, and and the sad part is, you know, you mentioned us being the first Christian nation. Uh, Artsakh has one of the, I mean, the oldest uh, Christian Armenian monuments. I mean, very very old, oh, yeah. and and those belong to humanity. You know, I would have left for my American uh, friends to have gone and seen those. Oh, yeah. uh, they're just mind boggling. So uh, for a nation to destroy that so that they destroy every, you know, uh, last trace of us from there, and they're doing it fast, just like they did in Nachichevan, so that we have nothing to go back to. By the way, Artsakh, if we don't fight for it now, uh, it's going to become like a Gars and Eres room. And, well, we've had uh, people there living their generation upon generation for 2,500 plus years, oh, much, 3,000 much years. Old, We've yeah. talked about this in earlier episodes. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's may, the, it might be the one region, if you were kind of to map this somehow, where it's, it's the, we've constantly occupied. Totally. Yeah, it's the, for, it's the one area of Armenia that has been continuously yes, inhabited, and yes. even throughout Persian rule or Arab rule, We've they, had they, we've had independence, we've had independence, and uh, and we've had our indigenous yeah. people there for millennia. And, and, and Azeri history, I mean, all they have going is that in 1743, a Turk, uh, Turkic, I mean Tatar Turk, uh. took advantage of disputes between the uh, Meliks, the Meliks of of uh, Artsakh, mm-hmm. and convinced one of them to turn the place into uh, the Garapakhanate. Okay, this this is happening in 1743. That's the closest they can come. By the way, what's Khanate? Uh, that's 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 what Persian territories were yeah. called. So this is the this is their history there. Uh, again, it was mostly populated but by. Katya, here, here, here's the here's the problem. They're winning. That's it. That's the. They're winning. Line. They're 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 fabricating these stories, and they're winning. Their people are starting to believe this stuff because, and and the frustrating part is, as an Armenian, you're you like. You know, you know they're lying. They know that you know that they're lying, and it's like this, this. And you can't really do anything about it because they've, they're they're, there's so much misinformation, especially yeah. on Twitter and and the fabrication of these stories. And you know, they're ma- apparently we massacred one million of them, and all. it's like they flipped the script on us, totally. and and we're not doing anything about. It. We're sitting there, kind of like uh, you know, yeah, no one's gonna buy this crap, but. No, they well, are. Well, I, I mean, people are gonna. I think we have a tendency to be uh, to judge others based on our values. To yeah. sort of thing. No, they're nice. Eventually, they'll come around. Yeah. Very, very uh, nonchalant and very mellow. But you're surrounded with wolves, literally. Of course. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It's it's very irresponsible to. I don't know. Well, I mean, I mean, to, just to get on the little funny side, I know you and I were having a good laugh at this with a few of our friends. Age of Empires seems to have, uh, yeah. Those helped. of you who haven't <laughs> seen, there's uh, 
there's a popular game age of empires it's a video game it's yeah it's like an online strategy game that's really blown up over the years and and they just released a a updated download where it's about the armenian ancient armenian kingdoms and and ancient ancient georgian Georgian kingdoms kingdoms. and the azerbaijanis have lost lost their lost their minds you should see the comments. Oh, it's a, and it's a worldwide no game. Yeah, it's it's a, world, so you can download well, it. Created I, it. I, mean. I, I don't know what, what video game studio. It's a mobile gaming company. It's amazing. They've, they've had this out for a while. They've advertised really big. And it's a very big following. It's an online strategy game for mobile devices, mainly. It's not like on Xbox or any of that kind of stuff. And just last week, they announced that they're having this new extension to the game or to the series or whatever. Wow. I've never played it. I don't, I don't know what, it, what the format's like, yeah, but I don't, I um, that it, or ancient, explore ancient Armenian civilizations you can play, play and as ancient Armenian. Georgian civilizations. Yeah, so you can play as Armenian kingdoms. And awful. the first comments under the official tweet release was Azerbaijanis absolutely losing their minds. Yeah. So yeah. What about, are we've been around there for the th- thousands of I years. We put would, it together. Yeah. That I would mean, be yeah, fantastic. We definitely, it's something we need to look into. But, but yeah, yeah, it's but but then that shows that even I mean non-Armenians were on there saying at, at what Azerbaijani kingdoms? I mean, like what are you talking about? You have <laughs> ethical, uh, you know, professionals who who come out and say yeah. it. Like, uh, but that's jo- not jo- enough. Joffrey Robert Robertson, the international human rights lawyer, who who mm-hmm. wrote an op-ed saying this place uh, Artsakh is Armenian. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they know, but but it goes back to those three pillars that we talked about. They have made deals. To let Azerbaijan push it. They have overwhelmed the information with these falsified stories. So the truth is in the middle, but it is surrounded with so much falsification that nobody can see the truth. And you have to go through this clutter to get to their actual story, but you can't even get there. Well, that's the thing is that the money, the money can manipulate. There's a lot of, I hate to say this, but I'm going to, you know how I feel about these things. Certain amounts of money can manipulate a lot of professions and a lot of things. Like I won't get into the examples, but you know where I'm going with this. It's easy for them to buy people out and they know who they're buying out. They're not just throwing mud at the wall and hoping one of them sticks they yeah. know who they're going after yeah. by the way if there was any time where we could have uh fought for Artsakh's independence it is now yeah. okay yeah a- again our cause is being handed to us on a silver platter oh yeah we have to prove that this country has a genocidal intention against this enclave and this enclave cannot survive with i mean just like I have the a Kosovo. feeling that's what we're going. I think uh, that's um, what they're. Uh, are they better? Uh, but yeah. I, again, I'm I'm hopeful we, that's we what they're doing. Yeah, fast. yeah. But you, I'm not gonna get you into can, that. You can you can you yeah. can always take advantage, and I'm a firm believer in this. I might be a little too much of an optimist, but you can always take advantage of your enemy destroying itself. Power hungry. He's power hungry. It can they, backfire. They are power, and hungry. he's also paranoid. I mean, the fact oh, that he, he has, has to, to be. he has to walk on the flag of because Arsach he's brain, he will he's as brainwashing. He going into Stepanakir. That shows you how insecure he is. Because minute. didn't he arrest those three kids because he had seen a footage of them walking over a Zeri flag? I, and then he does the same thing. Yeah, to yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And, and we, uh, well, anyway. I mean, well, hundred par- years later, it's the same strategies. Yeah. Uh, our leaders have been arrested. Uh, same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, um, this was a great conversation, but we have yeah. one more 
question for Very you. We ask this question. to all our guests. And do you want to ask her? Okay, fine. All right, I will. Go ahead. Time machine question, as we call it. If you could go back any time in Armenian history, um, when would it be and why? Oh, boy. Um, it's not a trick question. <laughs> no, it really isn't. I, yeah, I'm tempted to say I, I wish we could go back to 1994, 1991, okay. and un, undid our errors. That, that's history. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Listen, when yeah. we you say know, history, I, we're not I talking mean, about ancient it's history. It's so tragic. Yeah. All yeah. we had to do was reinstate ourselves as the entity that the League of Nations had recognized and automatically made Nakhichevan and Artsakh, you know, uh, occupied by Azerbaijan. And and look what that would have done to the Artsakh conflict. Yeah. But to make it fun, (laughs) I wish I I I could go back to during... uh, you know, the Dikran Mids. Uh, uh, right? it's, that's it's one my of answer your... <laughs> too. That was my answer yeah, too. Yeah, and, and I wish I could have walked in, in uh, uh, Dikran Agird uh, that is now seen what it was occupied like. by, by Azerbaijan, which is outrageous. We, yeah. have, we have Dikran Agird, the whole city that he has built. Uh, by the way, he, he has built four of them. I yeah. his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Askeran, Artsakh, that they're claiming to be their lands. Where were they during that era? But I wonder. There were seven yeah. of them, actually. No, yeah, there actually the seven of them. Oh, the, really? the, yeah, original, the original Tigran Nagert is uh, the, the, by Diyar Bekir. Yeah, Diyar yeah. Bekir, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Well, so that yeah. would have been, yeah, a fun... I era. always say that that was my... when uh, uh, This question came up yeah. from, a, from one of our listeners. No, one of our listeners came up with this oh, question. Yeah. So, so we were cool. like, we're going to yeah, steal and, this. And my my thing was, again, same. I wanted to go back during the Tigran era and just walk the streets and... And and the sounds, the smells, the fruits, the the food, everything, just experience that ancient Armenia, the king. Well, that the that era, Armenia, that yeah, era, that era, the first century BC, moving into the first century yeah. AD, that era. So was maybe a next phenomenal. Maybe another book would be written about how did we get here from that from that point, from that greatness. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a great author like yourself uh, could serve as motivation. Yeah. So uh, next book, yeah. <laughs> maybe we can ins- inspire someone in the audience. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of people who who I've come across have, who have great ideas and things have, they want to do. We have some educated, yeah, very educated listeners and followers. Yeah. We really do. Yeah. Like, world, I mean, we're we're listened to, and we mention this all the time. They're it, teaching us things half yeah, the time. S- we're like in seventy three countries. Yeah, we love all of our. Uh, uh, you know, listeners and people who watch us on YouTube, you know, 73 different countries we listen to and we get um, so many emails and, and, and love from, from Armenians and non-Armenians. Um, you know, we just want to tell our story the right way and keep it going, do our part. Like I said, this is a way of fighting yeah. that falsified information that is being uh, put out there, Absolutely. you know. Um, but um, Katya, I really really appreciate you joining us tonight this was a lot of fun yeah Yeah. thank you for the information thank you for what you you have done thank you for writing this book uh and uh, i did the hard work so yeah guys start start carrying 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 the torch and uh, hopefully an audio version we got to look into that like i said a lot of people you know they drive nowadays they don't have time to read but the audio version i think would be a great option Uh, get off your computers and read a book yeah but it's not that people don't have time i people i'm an advocate for that 
I, and I hated like reading it. books when I, I was I, I like the feel of a book too. Yeah. No, I know. I but, hated but reading I, books when like I was you a said, kid. Finding you know, the time. Finding uh, the time to read is very difficult. Actually, you're not the only one who's been uh, yeah. asking yeah. me for the yeah. audio yeah. version. So, uh, but again, everyone, the QR code is on the uh, screen. Go ahead and scan it. Or it's actually, we have the link in the body of YouTube. So if you're yeah. watching it, it's there. You can click on it and order the book. By the way, the most gratifying part of this is hearing back from readers. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the most common one being, you wrote about my story. This is my story, especially Lebanese Armenians, yeah. you know. But yeah, uh, the, re- the people the, who can the relate feed, to this. The feedback is, is a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. Of course it Very is. Very gratifying. Yeah. Well, um, Again, thank you for uh, for joining us tonight, everyone. Uh, make sure you are following us on Instagram, where we announce uh, our our episodes and everything that we are doing. Uh, Mike is almost finished with the hike for our hero sculpture. Uh, that's gonna we'll announce that as uh, soon as it's ready. Should have should have something to show next week, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Is, it, is it a character? It's, it's hike. It's hike, hike knob, like knob it, but. Awesome. Uh, little twist too by the way yeah. my hats off to you guys this is just phenomenal this platform that you've put together thank you and the uh, amount of money that you're raising with hike for heroes uh, is very commendable um and uh, well, I, I i encourage everyone to contribute what, what we're doing is, so, is such a small part like i said uh tavit is an amazing human yeah. being and their organization hike for yeah. heroes all we're doing is just uh, getting the word out there for people to help and donate. We donated from our part as much as we can, but you know, they're, they're doing great work. So it's all about coming together. That's what it is. Yep. Um, Put aside the egos. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to mention guys, uh, support us on Patreon. Uh, you see that QR code on the top of the screen or in the body of, of, of our podcast uh, support us. It's five bucks a month. Uh, it, it helps us to continue this journey. Uh, there are a lot of expenses involved in producing a podcast and plus uh, all the other projects we have going on. Uh, so uh, go to uh, patreon.com forward slash and support us. And uh, what else? Am I missing anything? No. No, right? No. Nope. So you think we'll announce the, I'll we'll have, have something? I'll have, next, I'll have something next, yeah. next week. Yeah, next episode we'll be back. I'm, I'm uh, being shady about it, as you can tell. <laughs> we'll we'll be back with our regular, you know, we're, we're back with uh with our third episode with Katya, and t- next week we'll continue our storytelling with uh with uh we are somewhere lost somewhere in the 11th century. 11th century. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, we'll we be shall back continue. with that. And um, the 10th and 11th centuries had a lot of branches to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a crazy time. Of course, it's a it crazy was time. A lot actually, of lot of information during yeah, that time. We have another history. like probably two, three more episodes to do, and we'll be done with that era, and then we'll move on. So, but again, I want to thank everybody who joined us tonight. Um, and uh, as we always say at the end of every episode, respect one another, love one another. Until the next episode, take care of yourselves. <laughs>